We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. We're talking rookie tight ends and wide receivers on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. And we're doing something a little different here tonight, Matt, uh, as your Skype would not work. Yeah, we are recording this over the phone. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, technically, we should still have good sound quality because we're recording directly into our computers, but we're talking to each other through the phone. So we'll see. I, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think it will be fine. But, um, you know, if this is disjointed uh, in a higher degree than normal, that's why. Also, um, had some things pop up yesterday, so we couldn't record um, Monday night, which is going to put us on Wednesday for the second week coming out. The plan is still to try to get these out on Tuesday. But uh, anyway, that is something that will probably be rectified next week. What do you think of this Joe Flacco to Denver move, Matt? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, typical uh, John Elway. If he can find a tall quarterback who's not very good, he's going to do it. Uh, so that's what he did. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that it probably takes them, at least I would imagine, it takes them out of a quarterback uh, in the first round, which they were kind of in the mix for maybe getting a quarterback in the first round before the trade. I still think they can get one uh, in round two or round three. And so I'd kind of expect them to do that. Um, maybe Drew Locke would still be there in round two, near the top of round two. But uh, I think it takes them out of the the conversation around one. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's a great move, but I don't think it really hurts them. Yeah, and I think from a fantasy perspective, as far as the players in this offense go, I don't think that it really uh, changes my opinion on any of these players too drastically. Um, but I am curious. We haven't talked about uh, prospects too much, uh, and you've kind of teased at it here, and we'll talk about this more obviously in a dedicated episode. But this quarterback class, are there names that you like? Do you think it's a strong class overall? No, uh, it's not a strong class the way that last year's was. Um, there might be three quarterbacks who go in the first round, although I, I kind of doubt it. Um, I think there will be two. Uh, I think Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins are the clear top two. Um, I think there's a pretty good chance both of them go, uh, in the top 10 picks. 
Um, but I see there being a pretty big gap between those two and everyone else. And um, if it were a year in which lots of teams really needed quarterbacks, um, I could see someone sneaking into the first round, like near the end of the first round, but there really aren't all that many teams that absolutely need a quarterback. Um, so I think there are two guys who are worth first round picks. And I think those are the only ones who will probably go in the first round. Yeah, I started working on the RSI, the Rookie Scouting Index, over the weekend, which is one of the things we do at Rotoviz each year where we kind of aggregate across scouting sites because that's naturally something that we don't focus too much on. But what the scouts say will play a huge role in shaping the NFL draft. So we go through and we aggregate all of that up um, into an RSI score, and it kind of gives us a view of what the scouts are thinking and the order that players are likely to be drafted in. And Haskins was by and large um, the unanimous number one at every site that we're looking at. Uh, after him, you know, I, I think that Murray, it looked like there was somewhat of a consensus on, but it's very clearly them and then the field this year. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if if by the end of this process, Murray jumped Haskins, but um, I don't know. Either way, it wouldn't surprise me in terms of which guy went first. But yeah, I, I agree. Those are the those are the two guys at the top. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, we'll get into those players later. Um, and then the, the other interesting thing, I think, at quarterback from a fantasy perspective is going to be seeing what actually happens with Nick Foles. Uh, if he does go to Jacksonville, that might be kind of interesting to talk about. Um, the only other real interesting news story that I've seen break lately is apparently the Patriots really sought after Odell Beckham Um in advance of the trade deadline last season, they ended up going with Josh Gordon. Let's say hypothetically that the Patriots really went aggressively after Beckham for the 2019 season. Do you think that this pushes him to the wide receiver one discussion, perhaps overtaking DeAndre Hopkins if he was going to be your number one? Or do you think that this is going to reposition him kind of back just into that top five, but not necessarily the number one overall guy? Yeah, I think he's in the top five for me right now, and that's pretty much where he will be regardless of whatever happens. Um, I think he's still top five if he has Eli Manning or whoever throwing him the ball. Uh, if he goes to the Patriots, I don't think that really changes anything. Um, so there's like – it could go either one of – I mean – I don't know, one of three ways, which sounds like I'm saying nothing, but I mean, like you, you, you could, you could see, you could easily see a world in which, uh, he automatically becomes the wide receiver one in terms of points per game production. You could see how that happens. You could also see, um, that the Patriots are a team that looks to exploit the weaknesses of their opponents on a week to week basis. Um, they don't always do what you think they should optimally do. Um, it's possible that Beckham could actually regress a little bit, not because he's any less of a player, but because they don't need to use him as much or they choose not to use him as much. Uh, and then there's the possibility, which I think is the most likely thing, that he basically continues to do what he's done up to this point in his career. Um, you know, so I would just basically have him slotted where he is now. Um, probably not the number one wide receiver, but, uh, I think very arguably a top three receiver and very clearly for me, a top five. Yeah. I, I have a similar takeaway. I think that if he wound up in new England, there might be, um, an inclination to view him a little bit uh, in a stronger light than he is in New York. But I think that there's a couple of things we'd have to keep in mind. One, I don't think that you can count on that target volume being there to drive him up to number one. I think yeah. a high end would probably be like 145 for him, which is around what he's been at. But you're probably not going to see such a high uptick in efficiency over what we've seen from him other seasons that it's going to really raise his ceiling that much. And like you said, there might be weeks where you're not going to see him um, necessarily be used as the main target in their offense. Now, obviously, you know, perhaps if Kronkowski retires, although he didn't really factor in that much in 2018, but this is not the Patriots team that we saw maybe five years ago where OBJ on it, you know, would become the unanimous number one 
wide receiver. So I'm with you there. Obviously, this is all hypotheticals at this point, but it would be interesting. Final thing I want to talk about before we get into the meat of this episode in Dynasty Leagues, I own Tevin Coleman. I have been getting a lot of offers for him. Before I tell you what these offers are, in terms of draft picks, what do you think that he's worth? Is he a second rounder, a third rounder, maybe some type of package, perhaps even a first rounder? Where, where are you valuing him? Okay, I should say that I'm probably not very good at uh, valuing um, veterans relative to rookie draft picks. So I'll just say that as a caveat. Um, I think he's probably yep. worth a second rounder. Um, I definitely wouldn't give up a first rounder for him because um, I don't think he's going to sign with a place that intends to use him as a true number one guy. And I would hope to be able to get a number one guy uh, with that pick if I'm drafting a running back. Like maybe I actually won't be able to get him, but I have the shot of getting an, a number one running back. Whereas I feel pretty confident, and maybe I'm wrong, but I like my sense is that Tevin Coleman will never really be a number one running back. Yeah, I think that's fair. So it's it's interesting. I um as the owner was actually offered a second and a third for him. And you probably would disagree here, but I actually did not do it. And my logic being that I feel like at least with Coleman, I have an idea of what I have in place. And I don't really feel like I'm necessarily going to get, or let me say that differently. I think the odds of getting a Tevin Coleman, even with a second round pick, aren't actually in my favor. Perhaps you feel differently. I probably have not looked at this class as much as you have, or I have probably haven't looked at this class as much as you have, but at the point in time, that's kind of where my head is at. Do you think that uh, you would recommend I rethink that? So I think it's interesting. I think your point is well taken in that um, I think you are right that your odds of getting a Tevin Coleman in round two probably aren't all that great. I guess my question would be, what does Tevin Coleman actually do for your team? You know, like is Tevin Coleman on his own, like a difference maker for your team? Like I would say he probably isn't like if he is someone that you're counting on, your team probably isn't all that great. Like I know that might sound weird or something, but like I I just like if Tevin Coleman is someone that you are thinking um, is going to be a number one or someone who is going to be starting for you on a regular basis, I think you probably need to shoot higher than Tevin Coleman. So the odds of getting a Tevin Coleman with a second round pick and a third round pick aren't all that great. I'd say maybe you have a 50% chance, but like you also have the chance of maybe getting something that's greater than Tevin Coleman. Like I think if you keep Tevin Coleman, he's going to do not much for you for the next couple of years. And then you're just going to end up trading him away anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make an admission here as you talk through that. I, I don't think that I made the correct decision. Um, in dropping him or excuse me, excuse me, in not taking that trade. I probably should have moved on from him. I think at the time, what I was thinking was I actually need him in my team. I'm very weak at running back and I wanted those points, but I think you're right. If I'm really trying to move this team forward and win something, is Tevin Coleman going to be the type of difference maker that I need? And no, he probably won't be. Hmm. So I'm going to think about that some more. That's an interesting conversation. it is it is interesting, and I think it's actually a pretty useful conversation to have because there are different ways uh, of kind of valuing players based on where you are in your team cycle. And so I think in a vacuum, um, like all things being equal, Tevin Coleman, yeah, I think if you can get a second rounder or a third rounder for him, um, it it's probably worth doing it. Um, and maybe some of that is just because I don't think all that highly of Tevin Coleman at this point. I did like him a lot when he was coming out, and I thought he would have a lot of upside uh, at one point, but I just kind of don't see that anymore. Um, I, th- I mean, I think the big thing – so let me kind of rephrase some of this. I think Tevin Coleman and a second and third rounder, that's roughly interchangeable. You know what I mean? I would typically, yep. though, prefer to have the draft picks because I want the uncertainty. I want the unknown with those draft picks. Um, 
I will almost always opt for uh, what is unknown if there are the things of roughly equal value because I want the upside. You know, like I'm not trying to be a team that just like wins enough games. I'm trying to get enough players who can actually make a difference. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And um, that makes a lot of sense. And as I reflect on this, I think the reason that I was hesitant, I'm falling into a trap here, which is something I would tell people not to do, but I'm not putting it into practice in my own fantasy leagues here is going into last season. I was expecting Coleman to be one of the really, really exciting free agents, which perhaps as free agency plays out this year, he will become. But the projection that I would have had for him at the time becoming the lead back in 2019 I need to scale back. And it's almost like I'm still getting attached to what I was expecting last season when I acquired him. Do you know what I mean? Where it's, so it's like, I need to recalibrate for the potential team that he could go to. Cause it doesn't look like he's going to land in a situation like Pittsburgh was a possibility last year. And we've also seen that maybe he's not as explosive for lack of a better term of a player as, as I might've hoped. Yeah, I think it's maybe an, an issue of anchoring to the um, the valuation that he had maybe two or three years ago, or, or yeah, maybe even just last year. Um, and part of it is looking at the landscape of the the running back situations. I just don't see a team really needing to give him enough money uh, to make him like the number one guy that they feel they have to use. I just kind of don't. I don't imagine that happening. It could happen and I could be really wrong, but um, I I guess in general, a way of kind of putting a bow on this conversation is I generally want as much uncertainty as possible. And I think there's more uncertainty with the draft picks than there is with Tevin Coleman's future situation. Very, very fair. Um, So I'm going to go back to the drawing board and rethink that, but uh, I'm glad that I asked that because I think that was a a, a worthwhile conversation. And as a reminder, uh, we are going to have a lot more Dynasty content coming out on the site, which is going to help you make these type these types of decisions. Uh, So get that listener only 30% discount to an NFL season long subscription at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. We're really going to be picking up content. We have a lot of things going on, so I'm really excited. So make sure that you go and get that rotoviz subscription. Um, Court Smith and Neil Dudden have been doing some really cool series. Um, They're two of our lead writers. And what they've been doing is for wide receivers, uh, which Court has been covering, and tight ends, which Neil has been covering. They've been using the Rotovis screener to look at the rookies from this past season, see how they did in year one, generate a list of comparable players, and then look at what those players' careers looked like after their first season. So, we're going to go through uh, three of the tight ends that Neil has covered so far, and then two of the wide receivers that Court has done, and their pieces are really in-depth too. So if you want to get some more um, insight into their conclusions and some of the pros and cons that they saw, definitely go check out these articles. But I want to start with uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles young tight end, David Njoku, Clive Walford, Jimmy Graham. And Kyle Rudolph. And that's an interesting mix in there. Obviously, the names that jump out are Graham and Rudolph. In Joku, we still have to see what develops there, but I still believe in him. And I think it's an interesting name to see on this list. So, Walford's probably the only one that's not a very nice comp to have in there, but that's a pretty good list, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry. I was muted. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a really good list. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting, and I'd like your your thoughts on this, um, with yep. the tight end position, I'm not entirely sure how much production from the first year matters or like uh, how projectable it is to look at that and then think of what someone's going to do in the future. Like I think it's more useful for uh, for wide receivers. But for tight ends, because guys just kind of take so long to grow into the position, um, I think like 
what matters is maybe that they hit sort of like a rough baseline of production. But I think like traits matter still so much more for tight ends entering uh, their second year. You know, like uh, draft position, a guy's physical uh, capabilities, uh, and then just also kind of like a role that you can project on the team. Like, is he going to be the starter or not? I think those things probably matter a little bit more than what a guy did his first year, but I, I might be wrong. Yeah, no, I think that I agree with that. And a lot of that is based upon, like you said, the development time that it takes with tight ends. Um, so for me, what I like to see is if I'm looking at the comps, some exciting names in there, but I'm not necessarily going to write off a player. But if there's a guy that I'm excited about, then it's generally good to see some good comps showing up. But I do think that, like you said, the traits uh, are a more important factor and you can't read too heavily or you can't read into the comps as much as they're based off of production. Um, and in this case, um, draft round and draft pick as you would with the other positions. So I think that that makes sense. Like I would say, looking at this, there is almost no chance that Dallas Goddard develops into Jimmy Graham like this year. I don't think that's even like an an upper range possibility for him this year just because of the role he has. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And I also kind of, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what I think. Like, I don't know how comparable he is to some of these guys just because of the role that we can anticipate he's not going to have this year. Whereas almost all of these other guys like Njoku, Graham, Rudolph, they were all starters in year two. Like Goddard is probably not going to be a starter. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think with him, that's the biggest con. Otherwise, I think he'd be a type of player that you could be excited about. Uh, He actually... In playing with Wentz, they had the strongest AYA of any uh, combo on the team. So there was a lot of a lot of good things that you could point to with him. But obviously, when you have Zach Ertz on the team, who has arguably the best tight end in the league, um, there's only going to be so much opportunity for him. Like you said, maybe we'll see more two tight end sets. Uh, so I think that you can project a decent career for him. You could be feeling good about him if you're an owner, but year two is not going to be... A breakout year. Yeah, what I would optimally want to do is um, wait till the middle, the middle of year two, and if there's you know like a string of games where he's basically just doing nothing, try to acquire him on the cheap, you know, because I think you can see long term he has a lot of upside, but it might take him a while to get there. So I think he's a decent person to try to go get um, when his value seems low. Fair enough. So a tight end that we talked about some during the regular season who you liked, and granted that may have just been the situation at the time, but the New York Jets young tight end, Christopher Herndon, uh, who really, if you look at this Jets offense, played a fairly large role. Um, His comps after year one are Dwayne Allen, George Kittle, Jordan Jordan Reed, and Zach Ertz. So that's another interesting bag. I'm sure when people see George Kittle, they're going to get very excited. Yeah, I am um I am exuberant uh about Chris Herndon. I, I probably shouldn't be, but I do think he has a lot of potential there. There's I mean, if Dwayne Allen is the worst player on his comp list, like he has a ton of upside because like Allen had was it like I think he had one year with maybe like ten touchdowns or something like that. Like Allen at one point was a, a viable player. Um so yeah. I, I like Herndon a lot. I think he has the ability to play as like a, a high-end move tight end. And I think that offense is only going to get better um, with the development of their quarterback. The one thing that does give me pause is uh, head coach Adam Gase. Like uh, he hasn't really had great tight ends in his offense, at least not recently. Um, and I just kind of don't know if I trust him in general to uh to develop young players so that is something that i'm a little bit concerned about but like in a vacuum just based on what he did last year and based on his traits um i'm pretty bullish on him yeah and actually that is something that uh neil mentioned 
um, in, in reading through his article is something that you that you'd be concerned about. Uh, and another thing that he pointed out too was that he really relied on air yards to amass most of his receiving production, averaged just four point six yards after the catch, which was thirty sixth amongst all tight ends that had at least ten receptions. Uh, but still. As you mentioned, he has time to develop with Sam Darnold. They had a pretty strong connection um, when you compare to the rest of the team. And I think that there's definitely a possibility of him having a good sophomore campaign. Uh, I'm probably not quite as high on him as you are. And the final tight end that we're going to talk about is Mark Andrews. Now, if everyone remembers, the Ravens made an interesting uh, move last year. They took... Um, two tight ends early on in the draft, um, with Andrews getting taken in the third behind, help me out here, Matt. Why Hayden can Hurst. I not remember the name? Yeah. Hayden oh, Hurst right. Hayden Hurst. Round. Yeah. Yeah. A horrible draft. Right. And pick. I think, yeah, he, I think he, like, he saw very, very little playing time and, and was definitely outplayed by Andrews. Uh, so his comps come in. Um, Tony, help me out here, Matt. Moe, Tony I don't remember Mo- how you say this. Tony Moyaki. Tony Moyaki, Dwayne Allen, George Kittle, Zach Ertz. It's, it's really funny to see Ertz popping up in, in, in so many of these comparisons. And he also has George Kittle and Dwayne Allen. So this is a very similar list to what we just saw for Herndon. Yeah. I mean, they, they are similar, uh, in a lot of ways, even kind of in terms of their, um, well, similar draft range and then also similar as type of players. Like I think Andrews has more capability to be a blocker than people give him credit for, but he was basically billed as a kind of big slot receiver when he was entering the league. Um, but you know, he had been, you know, the collegiate tight end of the year, uh, before he entered, he was basically the number one receiver for, um, for Baker Mayfield in college, uh, his final season, like he has a lot of potential. So he's, yeah, out of like all of the tight ends, uh, from last year, like he's the one I wanted the most. Right. Um, the offense though, I think that we should talk about. So he did, uh, he was targeted less once Lamar Jackson came into the fold, but did manage to actually increase his production uh, by nearly a full point when playing with Jackson as opposed to Joe Flacco. But when you look at this offense as a whole, do you think a strong second year is something that's possible or are we going to have to wait a little bit longer? Uh, I think it's possible. I I mean, I think he might do a little bit more than he did last year. Um, I think Lamar Jackson will be better than he was last year. I mean, that Okay. I mean, that's like an obvious statement. Like, but I, I don't think he's going to be like massively better, but I think he's going to be significantly better. Um, and I could see actually Andrews serving almost as kind of like the number one receiver for him. Um, you know, there are Mm -hmm. offenses that for years have kind of funneled through the tight end. Uh, Kansas city was one of them when they had Alex Smith, um, you know, like Jason Witten at one point was like a, a very strong uh, tight end, like kind of number one option for the Cowboys. I could see that almost being the case for uh, for the Ravens with Mark Andrews. Yeah. And if you look at this team, um, people are speculating that Crabtree could be released. John Brown's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Boyle and Max Williams, other tight ends on the team, they're also unrestricted free agents. Um, as we saw him overtake Hayden Hurst, you know, he's definitely going to be the first er, uh, he's going to be the, you know, highest ranked tight end on the depth chart. And with some of those receivers leaving, yeah, it's definitely possible that they're going to have to rely on him. I wrote with his fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. While it may be the off season for most people, it definitely is not for our listeners or for the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just $35. If you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77, and they even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league. 
And the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. There's limited orphan teams available for purchase right now and brand new startup dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Okay, let's talk about the wide receivers. I find these ones a little bit more exciting because as we mentioned, you can read into these comps a little bit more as we do see production from... Or, or, you know, you can expect to see production from wide receivers earlier than you can from tight ends. So let's talk about Michael Gallup quickly before we look at these comps. As a Dallas Cowboys fan, perhaps you have more insight into Gallup than I do. He definitely became the second option in the game, in the team's passing game as the season moved along. Even with Amari Cooper arriving, uh, I think we did start to see him kind of position himself there in the offense. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think um, he's the clear number two wide receiver on the team. Uh, I liked him coming out of college. Uh, I think he has a good physical profile. Um, On the comp list, you see Devontae Adams as his high-end comp, and I think that's probably accurate. Um, The one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that I don't know if his target volume is going to increase significantly more uh, than what he saw last year, just because Amari Cooper is now on the team. Uh, because I do think, uh, Ezekiel Elliott is going to continue to function as basically their second pass catching option. And I think they will also continue to be a fairly run heavy team. Um, so I like Gallup in a vacuum. I just don't know if I like his situation all that much. Like he had 68 targets last year. I I doubt he gets higher than a hundred this year. And I think even that is kind of on the high end. Yeah, for sure. Especially for a team that I think they're still, if they're able to, will want to use Ezekiel Elliott in the run game as much as they can. The other comps for him are, as you mentioned, Devontae Adams, Aaron Dobson, David Terrell, Corey Coleman, and Nate Burleson, who actually, if you look at what they did in year two, Burleson had the best season, actually put up 227 PPR points. That was on 102 targets, 1,000 yards. Uh, Corey Coleman, unfortunately, did not really put things together together ever in his career <laughs> like I was hoping he would. Uh, David Terrell, really nothing to speak of in his second season, and Aaron Dobson never really did much. So it's a really a mixed bag right there. You have two very strong comps in Burleson and Adams, and then three ones that are not the greatest. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, it's, it is pretty bad because even Nate Burleson, he did have that 1,000 yard season, um, but that was clearly the best season he ever had. Uh, he was never really able to put it together either. I think that's probably going to be the case with Gallup, where he's, he's probably just like another version of Terrence Williams, where uh, I feel like he has the traits, like he has the possibility to become a, um, a pretty viable fantasy receiver but he's just not in a situation where it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's really hard when I look at this team to think of a way that he, especially from a fantasy perspective, becomes the type of guy that you want to have in your starting lineup week in and week out. It just does not seem like it can be there. It's not going to come through volume, and I don't think that it's going to come through efficiency. You're probably not going to be looking at the type of guy that's going to manage to get into double-digit touchdowns on a low um, opportunity rate. So, you know, mixed bag there, but I I would be very cautious in dealing with him going forward. 
Yeah, like what do you think his odds are of having at least one thousand yard season in his career? Like, I would mm. say probably less than fifty percent. Oh yeah, I would definitely say less than fifty percent. If I really had to put a number on it, I would probably have it closer to like twenty five or thirty. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like maybe thirty five percent. But like if a guy isn't going to get enough targets or if he's not going to be efficient enough to really make me feel like he has a good chance of getting a thousand yard campaign, like I'm probably just going to be avoiding him. Right. And I think the other thing that I want to mention in this conversation, too, is I can see how it'd be easy to to dismiss an exercise like this by saying, oh, well, you know, like you're really just looking at one year of production. But we have really seen that the players that tend to be big fantasy contributors, they're doing big things in their rookie seasons. We're seeing that more and more as of late. Uh, So I do think that you can read into these. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule. Um but I'm more excited about a guy like Traquan Smith, who I think that this year, um, as far as rookie wide receivers went, I think he ranked um, like 11 in points. But I'm expecting to see a pretty big jump from him as he moves throughout his career. So before we get into the comps, um, among all rookie wide receivers, he was third in efficiency um, with receiving fantasy points over expectation of 26.5, as Court writes, fourth in yards per target among rookie wide receivers with at least 10 targets and among all first year wide receivers with at least 40 targets, his catch rate of 64% was third best. It helps when you're playing with Drew Brees, but he's still going to be playing with Drew Brees. So before we look at the comps, I have to imagine that you're excited about Smith as well. Yeah. Um, I liked him entering the draft. And uh, then obviously I liked that he was drafted with a top hundred pick and that he went to the saints. So uh, it's a good situation for him. He was productive in college and I, I like his physical profile to, to add on uh, to what you said um, about looking at first year production and how it, it does mean something for these wide receivers. I did a study. Um, it was like one of the first articles I wrote at Rotoviz. Um, so, you know, it's, it's outdated by five years, but the research I think uh, still stands and I haven't. Yep. Um, Anyway, like, like I haven't formally uh, kind of updated it, but like I have gone through to see like if it still stands and like it, it's still applicable. Basically, if you look over the past like 25 to 30 years, the wide receivers who have like a quote unquote breakout year or who have like at least one season of fantasy uh, production or fantasy viability, um, 33% of those guys have a fantasy viable season uh, within their first year. So like top 36 production at the position within their first year. And then, uh, another 33% have it in their second year. So basically like if a guy doesn't have a, a fantasy, uh, useful season, uh, by the time his second year is over, like there's, I mean, the odds are greater than not that he's not going to have it. Um, and if it doesn't happen by the end of a guy's third year, there's basically like 75%, um, maybe even closer to 80% uh, are productive within their first three years. So yeah, like the first year, people might kind of think of it as like, oh, these are guys just kind of getting into the flow of being an NFL player. Um, But it is something that is still important. Like if a guy doesn't have production in year one, like He's kind of, he's not exactly on his last leg, but like he better get it in year two. So like it, like first year production actually really does matter. Yeah, for sure. Um, unfortunately though, for Smith, this is not the greatest, uh, bag of, um, players to have in a cohort here. So you have Ashley Lee who, to be honest, I don't know if I'm even saying that right. Chris Henry, who is a former Bengals receiver, uh, Traquan Smith, Devonte Parker, who, when I see that, that raises flags for me, uh, really is Ben Randall Cobb and Justin Hunter with Cobb being the best name on the list. I, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's not a good list. And the thing is, I would even say that there are questions about how much of a, um, of a comp Randall Cobb really is. Um, cause right. I think he's, he's pretty different, especially because he got a significant part of his, uh, production in college as a runner. Um, so 
it's I, I think he's pretty different. Um Lately is a guy who uh, was drafted in the first round by the Broncos, did have one like decent season uh, in his third year. Um, and Chris Henry was someone who always had upside. Like this is sort of like the upside list. Like all of these guys are like upside players. Um, it's just a question of like whether he's like Traquan Smith is going to be someone who kind of turns his upside into some production. But like this, it's not a great list of guys who have done that, like, because most of these guys haven't. For sure. And if you're trying to make a case for Smith here using this list of comps, I guess the one that you could go with being Cobb is the only one, right, that would have played with a Hall of Fame type of quarterback. Um, So perhaps Smith playing with one, two will be able to go more towards the, the trajectory of Cobb than these other guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, a bit yeah. of a stretch though, but no, the, the, the comp list, it's, it's not good. Like I'll just, I'll say it. So like, I'm, I really like Traquan Smith, but, uh, I am somewhat pessimistic about his ability to turn into anything, but, um, I don't know. I, I still want him on my, on my rosters. Like I still have him in my main dynasty league. I'm just not very optimistic. He's going to turn into anything. Right. And um, as Court points out, you know, Cobb was the best of the bunch as a sophomore. Um, Devontae Parker did do some, but uh, the rest of the comps, if you're trying to look at year two, it's not the greatest batch. So so like we said, um, he really still falls into that category of upside. Um, he, though, is one of the players that I think if I want to try to take a swing for that upside and feel good about I will do it on him because, as we said, he's playing with Drew Brees, solid yeah. team. I mean, here's here's one kind of random question. So I would say Gallup um, probably has the better comp group, um, although that's maybe debatable. But like yep. – so Gallup had the better, I think, probably rookie season or you know more overall production probably. Um, definitely saw more targets. Um, probably has more of a projectable role in year two. Um, but I probably prefer Traquan Smith. Cause like, I think if he hits, he could hit in a big way. And I just don't see Gallup hitting in a big way. Even if he does have like usable production, I think it would be like low end usable production. For sure. I- I'm with you there. I'd rather have Smith because I really don't see many possibilities where Gallup is the type of player that I'm using all that often. So even if he does have some level of usefulness, probably not going to be the starting lineup. So I'd rather go for the guy that if it does work out, can work out in a big way, even if he doesn't have that defined role and needs a couple of things to fall into place for him. Yep. So that actually uh, takes us through um, the five players I wanted to look at tonight. Uh, each of those guys is probably going to be releasing more. I know that Corta uh, is still going through the wide receiver piece. Neil has already done a couple of tight ends, um, other tight ends that uh, you know are probably interesting ones to look through as well. So make sure that you go and check those out. Matt, I'm going to see now if I can pull this up on my phone while we're talking here, but my wife sent me an interesting list today, uh, which is going to be our non-football topic that we're going to talk about. All right. I don't speak German. I don't know much German, but I've always enjoyed the language because they have a lot of words that describe very specific things um, that we don't really have words for in English. Are you familiar with the concept of what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, they basically like cram two words together. Yeah. So let me read off. I'm going to read off a couple here. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I feel like the mind of Matthew Friedman will always have something um, something to comment on this. Would you say that you have liberosis, which is the desire to care less about things? Oh, I, I definitely have that. Yeah. Um, except maybe I don't because like my desire is fully sated. Like I don't like I already sufficiently care less about things. Okay. Um, all right. This one I really, really like, and I'm wondering if you have ever experienced this. Let me let me make sure that I have the uh, I have the right one. Um, okay. 
Canopsia. I'm not, and I'm not sure if these are all German, but the eerie, forlorn atmosphere of a place that is usually bustling with people, but is now abandoned and quiet. How awesome of a word is that? Yeah, that's a really good word. And like, I can perfectly picture what that feels like. You know, it's like, yes. did, did you ever, did you ever work in a restaurant? Uh, I did actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like that feeling when like the restaurant, like it's been a really busy night and then like, uh, like you're in the back, uh, like cashing out your tickets or whatever. And then you go out and it's like totally empty. Like that's kind of like what I think that is. Like at least that's like what I envision in my head when I think of like a place that used to be bustling or should be bustling, but is like very empty. Yeah. Um, what did you do in this restaurant? Were you a waiter? Uh, yeah. So I, I worked there for a few years. So I had a number of roles. Like at first I was just like a host and then I was like the to go guy. Um, at one point I had to, uh, okay. So (laughs) this is going to lead us a little bit astray. Uh, at one point I almost got fired for, uh, selling concert tickets to (laughs) to employees. Um, it's not as if I necessarily did something wrong, but like, uh, several of the managers were paying me with gift cards. Um, and I didn't really like at the time, like I didn't get that they were doing something wrong because like they had discretion to give gift cards to employees for like doing good things. So I thought they just kind of had like, like X amount of gift cards that they got per month that they could do whatever they wanted with. So I didn't necessarily get in trouble for that. Um, but the general manager was definitely displeased with me. And so he, uh, requested that I work, uh, like the morning shift, uh, during the summer as a busboy to like get the restaurant ready when the normal busboys were out of town. Uh, so I had to do that for like, uh, three weeks, uh, which was pretty rough, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that was like the last thing I did at the restaurant. Um, all right. This is taking me down two more paths. One, like, where were you procuring all of these tickets? Oh, like, uh, online or, um, just like going to Ticketmaster, like the first thing, <laughs> like we, um, this was like back in the day of like 2000, um, and the yep. Eagles were, uh, doing a, a big tour. And so one of my high school friends and I got like really great Eagles tickets and sold them for like hundreds of dollars. Um, and, uh, that was, that was awesome. We even gave uh, a pair of tickets to like my mom and his mom as mother's day presents. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. We were like the, the best sons. Um, but yeah, we would, sometimes we would like wait in line all night. Uh, we would basically be the front of the line and it wasn't because we necessarily even needed to be there that early. It was just because it was a group of us all hanging out there together, just kind of bullshitting, throwing a football around, you know, whatever, just like having fun. Wow. Um, so you were turning a pretty good profit on these. You had a pretty good margin then, huh? Uh, yeah. I mean, it would just kind of depend on, on the ticket, but, uh, yeah. And I mean, we did this with like, whatever it is that you could buy and then sell. We, we did this. Um, okay. Have you watched the, uh, fire festival, um, documentaries? (laughs) No, No, I haven't. (laughs) All right. Then you're not going to get where I was going with that, but that's kind of funny. The other thing. So when you were a waiter, I'm assuming that you just dominated memorizing that menu, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I don't really have anything to say about that, but yeah, (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm just sure that you do that. It's your job. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure that you knew that menu backwards and forwards, inside and out. All right, but I'm going to give you, um, now that we got a little off track there, this one's a really good one. And people, that are uh, pretty much everybody has shut this off now, but this one's awesome. Um, and honestly, I'm not even going to try to say it because this one I know is German. It's like, Enumont, the bittersweetness of having arrived in the future, seeing how things turn out, but not being able to tell your past self. That's a strong word. That's a great one. And that concept is very German. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, And then um, the other one that I like here too. 
Okiolism, that might not be German, I don't think, but the awareness of the smallness of your perspective. Another great word. So yeah, this was a terrible ending of the podcast, but uh, I did not have a good, I didn't have anything prepared. So that's what we went with. I think that's a, a pretty good, um, a pretty good ending. I, I do like that, the idea of that word. And I feel like that's actually like, um, like the best fantasy analysts or like sports analysts or just like the best thinkers in general probably have that. Like that feels like a very, uh, like Sean Siegel type of thing to, um, mm-hmm. to have, to have like the self-awareness of knowing that like uh, your perspective, although it might be uh, very nuanced and educated is probably still too small. Right. Yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. And then this is unrelated, but I, and I actually forget the word. Um, my father-in-law knows some German because uh, when he was in the air force, he was in Germany for a while. But anyway, there's, they have a word and it describes like the feeling of being melancholy for a place that you've never been. Which blows my mind because like sometimes if you look at like a painting or a photograph or something, or like if you read a story, you can be nostalgic for a place and you've actually never been there, which blows my mind. Yeah, well, it makes me think of uh, like the road not taken, you know, like that. That's basically what that poem is about, at least to me. I mean, it, that poem can be about a lot of things, but part of it is yeah. like uh, the, the nostalgia or like the melancholy of not going a certain place, not going a certain direction. Yeah, for sure. Hey, that makes me think, have you and your wife ever considered doing like a um, podcast related to literature? <laughs> uh, not really. I think you guys should do it. I'd listen. Yeah, uh, you would be the one person. Um, I, I don't th- <laughs> I don't think many people would listen. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll mention it to her and see what she says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mention it. Um, I, I would love to hear that podcast. But anyways, on a very odd note, that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.